Welcome to episode 59 of the Marketing Junkie Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Caruana, and I have something a little bit different for you today. So something that I wanted to do is give you a little bit of look into almost a time capsule. So I pulled out this interview from the archives. It's from all the way back in like early 2019. And it's an interview I did for Playmaker Society members, my group coaching program for indoor playground owners. And it's with business owner, Paul Maskell. Now at the time, again, this was two years ago, we were both at very different points in our business. And what I thought was so interesting about this interview is how much I've grown since then. So My perspective has completely changed. My business has completely changed. And I wanted to just give you a peek into what life was like before I really up-leveled and before I really knew how to create a great team culture, how to train employees in a really effective and efficient manner, how to stand out against my competition. This was all when I was in really deep in the weeds in figuring out how to run my business successfully. Now, By the time we recorded this interview, I had already come so far, and I had been working with Paul Maskell, a local business specialist, for quite some time. So full disclosure, I had already come quite a ways, but even just listening to this interview from two years ago, it really is incredible how much I was able to learn and how much I was able to put into practice directly from this interview. So again, full disclosure, this interview is two full years old, but Paul gives so many nuggets of wisdom. So if you want to learn how to stand out in a saturated market, how to create a team culture that really helps your business thrive, how to be efficient, how to run a business that runs without you so that you can eventually sell or step away from your business. And that's not saying that you need to sell or you need to be completely uninvolved, but so you can have that real time freedom that you're probably seeking as an entrepreneur. So That is what this interview is all about. It is so good and it's way too good not to share. So the full interview, the full clip is available only for Playmaker Society members, but I did want to share a portion with you guys today on the podcast. And if you are in Playmaker Society, if you've already heard this interview, I want you to stick around and listen to it again, because again, even myself, just listening to this, listening to myself speak, listening to him speak. There were so many things that I had forgotten about that have kind of fallen down the priority list. And this interview really helped me understand and put into better perspective what's important and what I should be focusing on. So this is a great reminder, even if you've already listened to this episode. So without further ado, I will let you listen to this interview with Paul Maskell. You're listening to the Marketing Junkie Podcast with me, your host, Michelle Caruana. I'm a corporate marketing nine-to-fiver turned brick-and-mortar business owner turned online entrepreneur, and growing businesses through smart and efficient marketing is kind of my thing. If you're like most business owners, you probably feel like you could overdose on all the different tactics out there, so I created this podcast to help you cut through the noise and the clutter and just get the clear, actionable strategies based on what's working and what's not for both myself and my marketing clients. Tune in every week to learn exactly how to attract an audience and convert them into customers and raving fans. No fluff included. I am here with Paul Maskell. So welcome, Paul. Um, Do you want to start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you and your business? Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Excited to be here. So really what I do is I help overwhelm business owners 
uh, build a business that can thrive without them so they can uncover the income and freedom that they always knew was possible. So really like working with small local business owners just because of the impact that they can have and the opportunities that they have uh, because they do have the speed and ability to make changes a lot quicker than working with large organizations based on my previous experience working in corporate America. Okay, so what are some examples of some small businesses that you've worked with in the past in terms of industry or fields? Yeah, so I, uh, along with helping business owners, I actually own and operate uh, several local businesses here in the Raleigh market as well. So I really like uh, businesses where there is that wow factor. So you can really, whether it's a service-based business where there's a before and after, or you can really give somebody a really good experience, uh, like a play cafe where they walk in and it's just something that they never thought was possible and they leave saying, I want to come back. So I really like focusing on those type of businesses. Don't really love businesses that just sell products. Products don't excite me, uh, even though you can do some fun things with that. So I really like businesses that really need awesome people uh, in order to make that customer experience a really good one. So anything from like the local businesses that I run, I run a dog walking and pet sitting business. Uh, so we really have a good opportunity to make that customer experience really awesome because people are leaving their pets at home by themselves and are relying on us to give them that peace of mind when they're away. So they get messages, they get report cards, they get pictures and videos and all this good stuff to make their uh, time away from their pets a little bit more peaceful uh, and they get that security feeling. So I do that. Uh, I, I'm a partner in a landscaping business. So the, the before and after aspect of that is really awesome as well as it's a niche where it's super easy to start a business. So there's a lot of people out there doing it poorly, which gives us an opportunity right. to be a lot better than the competition and do things other people don't do. Uh, and then I just recently partnered with a steam cleaning company. So obviously the before and after of going into someone's house, that's all kind of messy. The carpets are gross, uh, the tiles gross, whatever it is. And you have the ability to build that experience because they're letting you in their house, which is not uh, something that we like doing willingly. So those are the ones that I work with locally as far as uh, from a coaching standpoint, really businesses of all things, mobile detailers, uh, CPAs, uh, businesses that really just have the opportunity to do something different than the competition with that customer experience in mind. That's great. And I love what you said about the customer experience because that's really important. That's something that we talk a lot about in the course is, you know, there's play cafes, even though they're not very low barrier to entry, um, some people find a space and put some toys in a room and um, you know, they're kind of popping up all over the place. So really taking that customer experience to the next level is definitely really important in this industry. So I love that you said that. So in terms of actually setting up a business and you said getting the right people in there and really starting that customer experience, what are some mistakes that you see businesses make other than failing to differentiate themselves? Yeah. So I think it comes down, especially in the brick and mortar space, like a play cafe, a lot of times people go to market, they open a little bit too early, whether it's because lack of funding or they're just eager to get started. And you only have one time to make that first impression. If someone walks into your play cafe or restaurant or anything, uh, and it's not a great experience, they're probably not going to come back just because there are so many other options. And when you're thinking of a play cafe, your, your competition is more than just other play cafes. We have almost a three-year-old daughter and there are so many things that they could do. They could go to story time at the library. They could go to a music class. They could go to swimming class. So you're really competing for that kid's time, not just in a play cafe aspect, but where is mom or dad going to take them today? So really when they go to market a little bit too soon, they get all excited and then they walk in and it's just kind of like, meh. 
this really didn't blow me away. Their coffee kind of sucks and the toys are kind of dirty. I'm probably not going to come back. Even if your grand plan is like, hey, we'll make the coffee better. We're going to get better toys. So that's probably the, the biggest thing that I see just from brick and mortars in general. And then the other thing is not taking the time. So another thing with time, having the patience to train your staff properly, do a lot of role playing and really have that confidence that when we turn the lights on and we open the doors, Mary at the front desk is going to be their first impression and she's going to blow them away. If she's, if you're like, mm, maybe Mary will work. Well, Mary's probably not going to work if you already have that feeling because you're probably already trying to make excuses for Mary just because she's the only one you have at the moment. So I would say those are probably the two biggest uh, mistakes that I see when people, especially opening uh, a brick and mortar location, they're, they're so eager, whether it's from a lack of capital, we just need to get money in the door or we're just eager to get started and we can't wait another month. Right. And that is very common, especially, you know, I got really excited and we probably opened a little bit early. As soon as we got those permits signed and we had our fire inspection, we threw the doors open and, you know, there were some mistakes made, especially with employee training. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, but another question that comes up a lot, and I talk about this in the course, is one of the mistakes that I see Play Cafe owners make, and not just Play Cafe owners, but really any brick and mortar space, but specifically this business, is I see them adapt to a current space. So instead of taking the time and capital to do a full build out based on the customer experience, they simply find a space that fits just well enough and they you know, switch up their vision to make it fit that space and not the other way around. They don't make their space fit their vision. And a lot of times when I see play cafes close really quickly, it's people that didn't invest in a full build out. And it's people that maybe took over the lower half of a house or something like that. And they really didn't, again, like you said, they maybe went a little bit too soon. I don't think they had the funding required for a full custom build out. But have you seen anything like that in your experience where people don't invest enough in the build out phase and it ends up turning into a negative customer experience? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a hundred percent true. And I even if you think about just real estate in general, if you listen to real estate experts, they say you probably have to look at at least 50 locations, whether it's a residential home that you want to buy, whether you want to invest in or from a commercial space. So a lot of times, and we've all been there, if you're looking for your first house or your first brick and mortar, it's like, oh, this is the place. I think I can make this work. The rent might be a little too high, but the location is good. But like, we always try to make excuses. So even when we walk into a residential house, it's like, I don't really like that but we can work on that and we can knock that wall out. Eventually we'll get there and then we never do it. And then it's like, well, this was kind of a waste. So I think it really comes back to that patience as well of, right. you know, you've walked into brick and mortars like, why did this restaurant do this? Or this space does not make sense at all for a music class or whatever it is. Um, actually our daughter, she was in this, uh, it was, it's a franchise. I don't want to uh, disclose the name just to, to not uh, hurt their feelings, but they opened a little bit too soon and it was a music class for kids and the location was just like terrible. And they probably thought, oh, we could get people here. We could make this work, but just take the time and have the patience. Understand that like we have this great idea and we want to go execute on it, but it's okay to wait six, 12, 18 months, even two years because there's still going to be kids being born. There's still going to be an opportunity to capture that market because you're going to differentiate yourself anyway whether it's what kind of classes you hold or how awesome your birthday parties are or whatever it is, you know, having the patience to wait and find that right spot. And once you find that right spot, you're like, you're not going to have to make excuses to yourself of, 
why you could make this work. Instead, like this is perfect because I know I can build it out this way and I know it's gonna work because of all the research that I've done. Yeah, absolutely. So just to ask one clarifying question, when you said the location wasn't great for the music class, do you mean the actual physical location, like it was difficult to reach, or do you mean the interior space? So both. So I think it was probably an aspect of maybe the price was right because they wanted to open a little bit sooner. And they instead of waiting maybe another six or 12 months to get a little bit more working capital in the bank to invest a little bit more. So it, like the location wasn't great. And then when you actually went in there, it just wasn't great as well when you got a bunch of toddlers running around, you know, it's just, as you know, in a play cafe, you need that space as well to make sure it works for a bunch of kids so that the parents aren't freaking out and the parents can actually enjoy their time at your play cafe as well. Absolutely. And we, that's one of the things that we struggled with. And that's one of the things that I talk about in Play Cafe Academy as well. We kind of did the opposite and we found the perfect location and we spent a lot of money on it. The rent was higher than we wanted to pay, but it was on a main road. It was very street visible. I think something like 35,000 cars drive by it a day. But what we, what I found in this specific business model is we maybe could have gotten off the beaten path a little bit and paid a lot less in rent because, you know, what I found in this business and especially with our second location that is not as street visible, parents don't typically just drive by and say, oh, let's pop in this play cafe. You know, they Google it, they find you on social media, they make a trip, you know, they plan it in advance. Um, so I definitely agree that location is absolutely key, but I also think for us, maybe we could have not done the prime, prime real estate. We maybe could have backed it up a little, but we do have a competitor in the area who did the opposite of what we did and you literally can't find it. It's not on Google Maps. It's not anywhere. So I think a happy medium might be, might be perfect, and the rent might be right, um, but you really can't find them, and it's it, it's very difficult for their business. Yeah, I mean, I would agree, and I think if you if you watch how parents operate, well, one, when they're driving in the car with kids, they're not going to have time to be like, oh, like look at that, the kids are screaming, they're doing all these other things, they want this on the radio, but if you really understand how parents, especially parents with toddlers work, it's like, hey, where are we going? It, as long as it's close, it doesn't have to be visible, but it has to be close right. and you have to be able to find yeah. it. Exactly. But then it's all about like, man, did you know this? You didn't know this place was here, but everybody goes because all the moms talk, they're in Facebook groups, they're in meetup groups. And then you really get in, you really get ingrained into that culture and that atmosphere. Then it really doesn't matter that, hey, we spent $500 more a month to be visible on the main street. As long as you're conveniently located, you don't right, have exactly. to be visible. Yeah, that's definitely a good clarifying, um, definitely a good clarifying point. So we talk a lot about in the course about getting the business set up in terms of space planning, um, catering to parents' needs and things like that. But something that we don't talk a lot about is what you touched on previously about getting employees trained correctly and getting processes up in place before you open, before you know a bottleneck opens, or excuse me, a bottleneck presents itself, before you run into issues. So what are some tips you have for small business owners to really get that stuff set up for success from the start so that they don't run into issues down the road? Yeah, so I mean, really, I would really focus at least first on the customer experience. So 
putting yourself in the customer's shoes and every touch point that you have with them, how can you make that like an amazing experience? And when you set up these, the, the best thing about setting up your processes before is then your employees don't have any baseline. But if you're just kind of willy-nilly for a while and then you crack down into your employees and say, hey, now we're going to start doing it this way, it's a little bit harder to get them to change because they're like, Michelle, we've never done it that way. Why are we doing it this way? So yeah. it's not impossible, but even if you think about raising a kid, it's a lot easier to be like that strict person at the beginning Then you set that expectations and then you can always be a little bit more lax. But if you're lax first, then you try to be strict. They're like, mom, I don't believe you. Like, you've never had to do that. And I know you're not going to do it. So Absolutely. I would say, That's you know, great analogy. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's really true with your employees and not saying your employees are kids, but you know, just setting that expectation. And I think the key where a lot of, a lot of employers don't execute is explaining the why behind whatever you're implementing. So it's not, we're just doing this because I'm the boss and I'm telling you, it usually goes back to the customer experience. Like we are doing this because that way the parents can get through here quicker, which makes your job easier as well. When the customers have a better experience, your job's going to be a lot easier. So if you just focus on literally every touch point that you have with the customers from the time they walk in the door to the time they leave, at least from a operational day-to-day -day standpoint, then when they leave, obviously you want to have the systems in place to connect with them and engage with them and continue to get them to come back in, whether it's social media, email list, that kind of stuff. But on a day-to-day -day operations, really at least start focusing on that because everything falls into place with the customer, whether it's how you make the coffee or how the kids take their shoes off or how do they pay. Every part goes back to the customer experience. So when you start putting these systems in place, the other thing you want to do is engage your employees that are going to be doing it on a day-to-day -day basis because you as the owner might think it's great, but your employees are like, Michelle, it doesn't really work that way. So to be able to actually have those conversations and come to a happy medium of like, hey, I want your knowledge because you're going to be the one you know, doing this on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's checking people in, ringing them up, cleaning the place up, and then you as the owner kind of coming to a happy medium so that way the customer has a great experience you can sleep at night because your employees are doing what you want them to do. And then the customers want to come back as well. So that's where I would really focus on is the customer experience. And then obviously you want to build everything else out from, you know, your company vision, your company mission, job descriptions, employee handbooks, all those other things that are important. But I think from first things first is kind of, you really need that customer experience because if you don't, they're not going to come back. It's like I walked in, nobody greeted me. It took forever. Their, their machine didn't work. I didn't get a receipt. Whatever it is, like all those things that can go wrong, you're not going to be able to predict everything, but at least you'll have a good kind of framework to start with. And then once you open, then you'll know where the pain points are. And that's where you can then continue to improve your process. Exactly. And I love what you said about empowering your employees to bring that information up to you. Because when we first started, we mainly employed, I would say, 17 to 19 year olds. And what I didn't do a great job of is empowering them to bring those things to my attention. Um, I, and it resulted in more turnover. They weren't as happy with their jobs. They weren't as excited to come to work. And now I absolutely, I noticed, you know, pretty quickly once People, once the employees were not happy, once I noticed that, you know, things weren't being brought to my attention, and once I finally realized that, you know, I don't know everything, um, once I really empowered them and, you know, didn't just say, oh, feel free to bring this up to my attention, feel free to let me know if anything 
comes up that you want to see improved, I actually make a point to sit down with them and I proactively schedule time with each employee. So instead of, you know, kind of passively just saying, oh, feel free to bring anything up, I actually say, no, this is when we're going to sit down and I want your notes. Um, you know, your vision is important to me, or excuse me, your, your suggestions are important to me. And then immediately taking that feedback and putting what we can into action, that's seen um, that's really made a difference in our employee turnover and in our culture as a whole. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. And what you said at the end about, you know, noticing when a process doesn't work and when it goes wrong, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? So what should we do if something that we try to do doesn't work? So for example, you know, what I did is, you know, very passively telling employees to bring stuff up if they thought of it. Um, what, what should we do to adjust if a process isn't working? How can we identify that it's not working? What are some kind of red flags to look out for? And then how can we adjust in the best way? Yeah, so, and I think it always comes back to communication when it comes down to these things. So really, if there's literally any friction in a process, figuring out who's involved and then literally just asking them, how could we make this better? So when you know something goes wrong, it's probably something that really annoys you. So if you have to answer a question more than once, or if you have to do something, you know, if you go back to, if you've worked in corporate America, anybody watching this, there was always things that you had to do a different way because the way the company told you doesn't work. And it takes like 12 managers to, to sign off on trying to get this thing fixed. So if it's something like that, like, well, the coffee pot's supposed to do this, but uh, it doesn't work that way because it's kind of broken, so we got to do this instead. That's a pain point for your employees, which makes them not as happy at their job, which then goes to the customer experience. And the customer's are like, oh, it's the same coffee pot. This thing's been broken for six months. So it could be something physical like that, like let's get this fixed. Or it could just be a process of why does it take so long to do X, Y, and Z? And then literally just asking the people involved, like, like you said, proactively sitting down with your employees like hey I noticed when I was in you know in the cafe yesterday that you seemed a little bit frustrated when you're trying to get all these people in the door you're like yeah Michelle it just isn't working well what are some suggestions how can we make this better and don't be afraid to just ask your customers because a lot of times you get so far into your business it's hard to see what your customers are going through even though you are kind of your ideal customer most people opening play cafes are doing it because they have right. kids. Exactly. But a lot of times it's just like, this is my business and I'm so far in that I can't see out. So literally just asking people. And then when you do empower your employees to make that change, like, okay, we're going to take your suggestion. We'll try it. Understand that this isn't like brain surgery and this isn't life or death. You can try something. And if it doesn't work, the best thing about being a small business owner is if it doesn't work, well, let's just try something else. Whereas if you're a big franchise or you're a big corporation, if the little gym or somebody wants to change a process, it's like, well, we got to talk to this person and this person and this person. Yep. And it takes six months. And in those six months, you're losing revenue, you're losing customers and you're losing employees because they're so frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. And something that I read recently um, that kind of goes with what you were saying was, you know, when you try something that an employee wants to do and you take their suggestion, it's also important, I found, if it doesn't work, to make sure that they know it's okay. You know, it's not a failure. It's just we tried it. We're going to try something else now. Because a lot of times what I've seen is employees will come to me with suggestions. We'll try it. It doesn't work. And then if we, you know, treat it as a failure, they won't bring anything up again and they'll 
have that fear and they'll always be second guessing themselves. So kind of following all the way through and, you know, sitting down and saying, I know this didn't work. Here are a couple of reasons why let's, you know, just, you know, not even, um, you know, dwell on it too much, but immediately start involving them again and making sure they know that it's okay. It's not a failure. Um, and we're, we will continue to value their feedback, even if something didn't work. So I'm really glad you brought that up. So when we're starting up a brick and mortar business, you know, a lot of times we get excited and we want to get to market, like you said, as fast as possible. So in terms of documenting processes or employee training, what are a few things that you see skipped that really shouldn't be skipped? So whether it be an employee handbook or anything like that. Yeah, so I would say not necessarily a specific thing that gets skipped, but the owner assumes something. And that's where we usually like fall off the wagon. And I'll give you a perfect example of a prospective client of mine that I was talking with. She owned a brick and mortar and she was busy kind of running in the business all day. And then she tried to run the run the business after hours. So if she was open from nine to five, she was in the business delivering the service all day. And then at five o'clock, then she would run the business. So yeah. she had the great idea of hiring somebody to kind of help run the office, office manager type stuff. And she sent her to the store. She said, well, we need to get this. We need to go to the grocery store and get this. And then we also need to get toilet paper. And this is a true story. So she said, we need to get toilet paper. Here's my Sam's club card. Um, you know, go get toilet paper. So what the owner was assuming is this person's going to go to Kroger's or Wegmans. You like Wegmans. They're going to go to Wegmans for this. And then they're going to go to Sam's club for this. And then the person came back super excited. Like, Hey, I saved us time. I, got, I was able to get everything from Wegmans. I didn't even have to go to Sam's club. And the lady was like beside herself. She's like, why didn't you get the toilet paper from Sam's club? It's cheaper. Da 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 da. And that's really, I mean, it was just total breakdown in communication. The, the employee thought she was the hero saying, yeah, I saved us time. I got it done quicker because the employer didn't specifically say go to Sam's club and buy a 36 pack of Charmin toilet paper and it should be 1997 or whatever, and then go to Wegmans and buy granola bars or whatever she was shopping for. So really getting as specific as possible and assuming nothing. And it's not that your employees are going to be dumb. It's just, it's going to make their life a lot easier. So then they can focus on the customer experience. So you know, if you're making coffee, you don't just say put coffee grounds in the coffee pot and turn it on. You would say, get out a measuring cup and literally like making coffee for dummies, not to insult anybody, but it's going to make their life easier because then they're thinking, well, I know Michelle showed me how to do this. I don't really remember how much coffee she put in. Uh, so I'm going to put in two cups. I think two cups is good. It looks like that'll work. They do it. They make it. And then the customer's like, oh, this doesn't taste like the coffee I got last time. So then there's that inconsistent customer experience. So really getting as far detailed as possible when it comes to creating these things. So that way the, the employee doesn't have to waste their brain cells and brain power trying to figure this out. Because usually when something breaks down, your employee's not doing it wrong on purpose. They're doing it wrong. And it's not right or wrong. It's just wrong to you because you didn't tell them something. You forgot something. You didn't provide them something. So they're kind of winging it because they're thinking, well, Michelle showed this to me once and I should have remembered. And if I ask her, She's probably going to think I'm stupid. So I'm just going to figure it out and we're going to go. And the, the worst part is the customer's probably not going to complain. They're just probably not going to come back eventually. And you see it in restaurants all the time. If you go to a restaurant and you don't really love it, you're not going to like go on Yelp or you're not going to go on Google and say it sucked. You're just not going to go back. And then the business right. owner's like, well, nobody's complaining. 
Why, why isn't anybody coming back? I don't get it. Because it, you really have to do a lot to piss somebody off and make them complain. It's just when there's that inconsistent delivery of service, it usually comes back to those systems and processes. So, you know, going back to it, some, you know, what people miss is not necessarily the process. It's just they don't go in, in depth enough in the process because they assume, well, everybody knows that and nobody knows it, assume nobody knows it and assume that you can hire somebody that knows nothing about kids, knows nothing about coffee, knows nothing about customers, and they just need to be told exactly what to do so then they can focus more energy on the customer. Yeah, a couple of things I, that came to mind when you were going through that. So first is I saw something that you posted the other day on Facebook and a lot of times between owner and staff, it can even just be a really simple generational breakdown in that what you posted was, you could say end of day. And you, I'm, you know, I'm from the corporate world. I left the corporate world to open my play cafe. So to me, end of day is 5 p.m. But to a lot of the college and high school aged, you know, I never said by 5 p.m. I said, can you submit this payroll by end of day? And they hear, you know, midnight. And they just, that's how they were. That's how they grew up. That's how their college operates. Um, but that's not how I view it in my mind. So because I didn't specify, our payroll was late and I had to, you know, physically go to our accountant and drop this off because it was late. And I was so frustrated. But when I saw your Facebook post, I was like, wow, that was a breakdown of my communication. <laughs> um, so that was definitely, um, definitely accurate. And thank you for bringing that up. And then the second point that I had to bring up, um, and this is one of the hardest things I think about being a Play Cafe owner, is we actually get way too much feedback. So what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes I like to, you know, like bird box, I don't want to hear it because what we used to do and now like literally as soon as this interview is over, I'm going to go re-enable it. But what we used to do, so when somebody walks in the door, we require them to sign a waiver. We collect their name, their email address. They can of course opt out to email marketing. But if they don't opt out, we send them a survey after every single visit. And it's just quick three questions. It takes less than 10 seconds, you know, but there's a space for notes. And we did this for about six months. So every single day I would get about 35 to 40 surveys back. And it was a lot of people who would have never complained otherwise started complaining about little things. You know, um, oh, I didn't like the toilet paper in your bathroom. I wish you used two ply instead of one ply. Um, the coffee was a little bit cold. Um, I noticed that a child had a runny nose. And I just, again, I put the blindfold over my eyes. I was like, this is too much. I can't deal with all of this feedback. Even though it was so valuable, it was just too much. So, and it, you know, people don't go out of their way to necessarily say nice things. They go out of their way to bring something to your attention and it's not malicious, but you know, I got very defensive and I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry that we didn't provide you with, you know, extra cotton plush toilet paper. You know, I just got, you know, instead of taking that feedback and saying, okay, if we're getting this suggestion 10 times, you know, maybe this would make a difference. Instead of doing that, I just kind of pushed it all aside and I actually took this survey off. <laughs> because I was just overwhelmed and it, it made me not want to move forward. It, it kind of paralyzed me. All of the feedback, I was like, oh my gosh, all this time I thought I was doing everything perfectly. Nobody was complaining. But really, there's all these tiny things that, you know, I 
could be working on. And I just shut down and I was like, I can't deal with this. What I should have done, you know, now looking at it is I probably should have delegated it to a manager or somebody who was a little less personally, you know, maybe emotionally invested um, because I literally went to bed every single night when that survey was on, like, wow, I'm such a failure. You know, our toilet paper is terrible. Our coffee is full, you know, and I, so instead of reacting by hiring someone and delegating that task out, I literally just shut it down (laughs) and I turned the campaign off and now I'm realizing that (laughs) I probably, that's probably not the wisest choice. Um, But so a lot of play cafes do the same thing. They have, you know, we have a very unique opportunity in that we can follow up with people. You know, most restaurants and things like that, yeah, they collect email addresses, but they don't collect every single email address of every single person. And honestly, very rarely does somebody opt out of receiving emails from us. So we have a very unique opportunity to really continue that customer experience all the way through when they get home and, you know, continue communicating with them after. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I need to, to go make some changes. <laughs> But that's something that, you know, I am very honest about in the course is that parents are very willing and very ready to give feedback and you have to be ready to take it. You know, even three years in, I am still too emotionally invested. I treat it as an extension of myself. So, you know, a lot of times because it's my passion project, right? So when I see somebody complaining, I take it very personally and I take it as, you know, a personal attack against me. Um, When, you know, I I talk about this in the course that it's very common among Play Cafe owners. It's a very passionate group. You know, I know all small business owners are passionate, but, you know, a lot of us treat this as their children. And I now know that I need to delegate this out. I am not the right person. I'm not the right person to deal with complaints because a lot of times they do get defensive and you know just kind of shut down so sorry I didn't mean to go on a tangent but no but I mean it is very it is so true that I mean it is your baby every small business is our baby especially when we start it uh but understanding that they're not attacking you and under having the ability to understand that negative feedback is the best way to improve your business right. uh, because you can't ignore it is that you, what you're saying <laughs> yeah you can't ignore it but you can ignore it if it's just like a one-off and you, you right. kind of know this person but if there's a, a constant theme of like hey your toilet paper sucks then all of a sudden you like then you go get better toilet paper and it's like right. wow like they're listening to me it feels like this is like my family i'm going to refer more people there and when you take the time to respond to those people, not everybody, but a lot of people just appreciate it. They're like, wow, you actually care about your cafe and you're not here just to make money and you really are passionate. And then they become like your number one advocate. You can't keep everybody happy, but right. understanding that they're not attacking you. And if you see a common theme and you start, you continue to make these changes, you're going to set yourself apart from the competition because, you know, just like you said, most people take it so personally and defensive. And then that makes it worse because it's like, yeah, I respond. I want to go back to Michelle's cafe. Like she got yep. really mad when I told her her toilet paper sucked. Yep. And you know, even even though I know that I that it's not a personal attack, I've I've told myself that a hundred times, but I still can't help it. So, you know, my first reaction was again to just not solicit feedback. But now, you know, I'm finally learning that okay, it's not that I just shouldn't get feedback. It's that you know, turn the survey back on, but I need to have somebody else deal with it because even though I know, it's still really hard for me. And I'm, you know, a very, um, you know, when I take it to heart, I can't let go of it. You know, it bothers me. It completely drains my energy. 
even if it's something as small as that. So, you know, it's something that I had to admit as a business owner that, you know, even though I know something to be true, I, I just can't get over that hurdle. So I had to choose another way. I had to, I have to delegate that task out um, to somebody else. So kind of staying along this about, you know, businesses that have been in operation for a while. You know, I know we talked a lot about startups and when people are getting started, but what are some common issues you see in businesses, you know, like mine that are like a lot of your clients, I bet, that have been operating for a while? Yeah. So I think, you know, one is they get complacent, especially when they start seeing some success and really understanding. I mean, momentum is so powerful in business. You're either growing or you're declining. Like you can't just stay level. So I think really just becoming complacent and really using that feedback as an example, it's like, whatever, we're fine. We don't need this. And if you have that thing turned off forever, you might not, you might be losing so much business that you don't really know because you're bringing, you might just be getting new people in the door, but they're not coming back. So it's like, well, revenue's fine. We're not really down, but what could we be doing if we're actually listening to our people? So, you know, I would say that's uh, probably one thing. And then obviously if the business owner is just too far into the business is really just burnout. That's really where I see people is they're overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. Their passion and their fire that they had when they started, it was gone. It's like, I hate this play cafe. I never want to go in there because my employees suck. The people are complaining, you know, whatever it is, like that's usually where they weren't, they probably saw the problems coming, but they kind of ignored it. They had the blinders on, like, let's just keep powering through. And then it's just too late. You know, it's like, now what do we do? So a lot of people that I talk to, they're, they're kind of beyond that point. It's like, you, I can't really even help them because they're already working 18 hours a day and they, their mindset is so far gone. It's like, I want to just sell my equipment or sell my furniture and call it a day. So, you know, really getting back to why you started that business is so important and understanding that the only way to probably achieve that why is to give up control to other people and delegate with confidence and build that all-star team and really have a business that can run without you. So, a lot of business owners think, you know, I'm the only one that can do this and I want to be in total control. But if you're, if you're responsible for everything, that is the least point of control because if something happens to you or your family, you're, you're not in control at all. And then all of a sudden the business isn't making money because you're not there. So when your business needs you to be there, you know, people just a lot of times don't make that transition. It's like, okay, well, I'll run the front desk for a while, but then eventually I'll delegate it. But then you never do because then you get busy or you have another kid, or you got to put out this fire and you never get there. So really having that vision of why did I start this business? What does this business look like when it's all said and done, when it doesn't need me? Mm -hmm. And then being willing to put those systems and processes in place and delegate those things, whether it's taking feedback, calling customers, setting up birthday parties. If you're running a lot of birthday parties on the weekends and you're the one doing a lot of the work, well, that kind of sucks because you want to be able to you rather be spending those weekends with your family. So understanding that somebody else could be doing the birthday parties as long as you train them properly. Uh, so that's where I see usually people, you know, they're just overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. And it usually starts way back because their daily actions aren't mapping to where they really want to go. Got it. I'll never forget. I prob you probably don't even remember this conversation. It was probably two years ago when we first met. But one of the first things that you ever asked me was, how long could your business run without you? Five minutes, five days, five months. And I was like, I don't even think it could go five minutes because we had just opened. I was still there every single day and, you know, through a lot of, you know, uh, 
um, you know, you've been super generous speaking with you, doing some, you know, other trainings and work. We're finally at a place where, you know, it could, it does run fairly well without me. And, you know, we're not spending any more money, but I'll never forget that conversation um, because, you know, I remember you saying to me, well, I got some bad news. That is not a business. <laughs> um, so thank you for that tough love. But it's so true. And sometimes we need to hear it for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's really what, what it came down to me with my first business. We were running uh, after school programs for elementary kids and summer camps and all these events. But I had people kind of delivering a lot of those events and the coaching and all that. But I was still responsible for it on a day-to-day basis. And really what it hit me was I need to keep growing this business, but I can't because I literally don't have any more time. And then I asked myself, what happens if I got hit by a bus? And if I got hit by a bus, that business wouldn't last more than a week. Uh, and then I'd have a lot of upset employees, a lot of upset customers, and my wife would not be happy either because all this stuff was in my head and I could do it in my sleep, but nobody else could do it. So uh, it is unfortunately tough love, but nobody started a business to be tied to it 24-7. We started a business so we could have more freedom. We could have that money coming in while we're not physically working you know, in the business. So just asking yourself that and understanding that if you delegate something and that person totally crashes and burns, it's not the end of the world, figure out why they crashed and burned and then put a process in place so it doesn't happen again. Absolutely. And something that, something that I see a lot with Play Cafe owners that are struggling and that are not reaching their revenue goals, goals they're not you know, making as much as they had hoped, a lot of times the first thing I'll ask them is, well, how much time on your calendar is you know, dead time? So for example, you, know, you pay rent whether or not you have a class in the evening. So a lot of them will say, oh, well, we're open from nine to one and then we're closed on Sundays because that's our family day. And, you know, when you look at their calendar, they're really only generating revenue for like four hours out of a 24 hour day, just because that's all they can physically do. And, you know, when I look at our calendar, even though we're only open from, you know, nine to four, we have a class every single night. We are rocking from, you know, 8.30 a.m. to, you know, eight o'clock p.m. Saturday and Sunday. Um, and a lot of people, you know, are like, oh my gosh, how do you do it? Like there's, there's always cars. Something that people say to me, even other local business owners, they're like, there are always cars in your parking lot. Like, how are you doing this with a family and all this stuff? And I'm like, well, I had to, like, I got to a point where I was doing the same thing. I was only, I was, I would take, I think Monday and Wednesday, I'd be like, well, we're going to close that one because I just want the afternoon off. And a lot of people, a lot of people in the program, I've, you know, had to, give them some tough love and they want it to be closed on Sundays. And I'm like, listen, we generate 30% of our weekly revenue on Sundays. Like you don't have to be there. You know, that can still be your family day. You could, but you don't have to close your business. So do you see anything like that um, with clients or do you have anything to add there? Yeah. I mean, you're hundred percent right. Um, I mean, there's actually a local ice cream shop here where we live and family run thing and like you'll go there sometimes and like oh we're closed uh, we want to take a family day or whatever and it's like to me I don't even want to go back there because I don't want to pull in and have them be closed again when I could just go somewhere else uh, yeah. so trusting the process that if you doc like you're not running a complex business if you document the processes it's not like this is how you do brain surgery like if you can do it so can somebody else if they have a roadmap to follow uh, because like you said, I mean, putting yourself in your ideal customer's shoes, they might be working Monday through Friday, but they want to get out or they want to have a birthday party at your place or they want to go to a class in the evening. Just because you don't want to be there doesn't mean you shouldn't be open. If you're only open for 
four hours a day, you know, Monday through Friday, you're only open 20 hours out of 168. That's, you got to generate a lot of revenue to make that rent work. Um, you know, so that's really, I mean, I, I see it all the time and that's really where I was. It's like, I want to keep generating revenue, but I physically can't, or I don't want to, but so I need somebody else to be able to generate revenue for me as well. Right. Yeah. That was a huge turning point for us when I finally looked at the calendar and was like, well, you know, people are doing other activities in the evening just because I don't want to be there. doesn't mean we shouldn't have a class every single night. So that was a huge turning point um, for our business. So one of the last questions I have is, and this is one of the most common questions, um, and I didn't prepare you for this one, so <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but one of the most common questions I get that I thought of during our chat was, people are cons very concerned about competition. They're very concerned about copycats. They say, you know, um, oh, there's already an indoor playground, you know, 20 minutes away, or what do I do if, you know, they don't want to send out surveys to their community because they're afraid somebody will copy their idea. They're afraid of copycats. You know, we've dealt with many copycats. We actually had somebody locally, they copied our website so directly that they accidentally left our company name in one of the areas. Like she literally copy and pasted our birthday party packages and it said something like, oh, each party package comes with climbing vines themed invitations. Like she forgot to take that part out. <laughs> And I didn't even bother with a cease and desist because I just let her leave it there for a while because it, you know. They're gonna go Google, so what's climbing vines? <laughs> I know, and it just reflected so poorly on her and she, you know, they weren't even open a year. So, you know, something that I deal with a lot is people are very concerned, again, about differentiating themselves and, you know, oh my gosh, what if somebody steals my ideas? So what are, do you have any tips for kind of setting your business up to stand out if somebody does copy your business or, you know, as a business owner, how to handle it when somebody, you know, does something like that. Because I'll admit what the first time somebody, I, I don't want to say copy, but somebody opened a very similar concept and, you know, we have customer records. I can see that she, you know, visited us every single week for a year. You know, somebody that was a customer that clearly, you know, saw something that we, that she thought that, you know, she could do it better. Um, and I took it very hard. I took it very personally. It made me want to quit. Um, but now when I see someone pop up, I know, you know, if they're not original, you know, as long as I keep doing what I'm doing, you know, they're going to, you know, there's a good chance that they'll close. So do you have any, um, any advice for people in that situation or how to deal with that? Yeah. I mean, me personally, I love competition when I'm hundred percent confident in the service that we're delivering because without competition, you are the bar. So with competition, whoever is the worst that you just got to be better than the worst, at least from a customer perception standpoint. So if you're 100% confident in what you do, people are going to go to Climbing Vines and then they're going to the other place and they'll be like, whoa, I didn't realize how awesome Climbing Vines was until I went to that other place. Like I would never go back to that other place. So that's the first thing. The second thing is understanding that, you know, there's so much more goes into it than it's just a play cafe. It is the customer experience. And if, if there was no competition, you just, you wouldn't have, one, competition is great. If you're going to say, I want to bring a play cafe to my, my town. And if you look and there's no play cafes, there might be a reason there's no play cafes. Yeah. Maybe there's not a demand for it. So letting the market make that decision. But what's really important in, in my opinion is understanding that your competition is just people's time. It's not even a play cafe. Like where can, a, and I mentioned at the beginning, where can a parent take their kid today? A hundred different places. So that's really your competition. It's not, 
oh, there's two play cafes. I'm going to pick one. It's like, I could go to library. I could go to swimming. I could go to soccer. Right. I could go to I-9 sports. I could do all these things, but I'm choosing to spend my, my time at your play cafe because it's awesome. So don't let that get in your head. And I like to equate it to like restaurants. Like if there was no competition, no restaurants would ever open. Like if I want to open a burger shop, there's probably 30 within five miles of my house. Uh, that's not going to deter me for it because I know I'm going to do it a little bit differently. So you really have to have that secret sauce and it all comes down to the customer experience so that people feel totally welcome. They feel like you're the best place ever and they go talk about you outside of it. So then they also have a reference point of competition. It's like, oh, have you ever been to that play cafe? Well, that one kind of sucked. Go to this one. This one is awesome. So like a personal example is when I started my first business, we were going to a golf course to run junior golf camps for all these after school kids. They wanted to play golf in the summer. So we were going to run camps. And I went to the golf course, said, Hey, can we use your golf course to run our camps? And the owner said, yeah, no problem. Just full disclosure. There's another guy that comes here and runs camps as well. Uh, and he charges 120 bucks for the week. I said, well, we're going to charge 300. And he said, that's totally fine. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, and a lot of times business owners be like, Whoa, 120, I guess I have to charge 110. I said, we're going to charge 300 because I know, our product is so superior that people will pay 300 over 120 because of the experience they're going to get. And sure enough, two years later, that guy went on a business. He called me and wanted a job for me. So don't let competition stop you from doing what you're doing. If you're hundred percent confident that you can deliver a really good customer experience, because that's what it's all about. You know, restaurants are everywhere, but why do you keep going to the same one? Yeah, the food's okay. The food's good, but it's really, how they make you feel. And I always equate it to a lot of my content revolves around Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A sells chicken sandwiches. I can get a chicken sandwich anywhere. Why do I go to Chick-fil-A? Because the experience is better than any other place because it is so consistent because their processes are dialed in 100%. Right. I feel very, very seen right now because <laughs> when, I, when our first competitor opened, we had only been open eight months and I was not confident at all. You know, I was still very much getting my feet wet. I was dealing with one complaint after another, and it seemed like as soon as I figured out one thing, another thing would pop up. So I, so I think that's why I took it so hard because I was like, well, someone else is opening, that's it for us. Like we are just gonna <laughs> lay down and die. Um, but now, you know, a place just opened two months ago, another former customer, very similar concept, but you know, it, if anything, it drove me more. And I immediately went back to my team and said, okay, just as a reminder, this is why we're different. This is how we stand out. And I actually changed the verbiage on our website a little bit just to really clarify because, you know, what you said, you know, make sure that you're, you're delivering the best customer experience, make sure you, you know, you have that secret sauce. You know, something that I realized was that we know it, but we weren't exactly, we, did, we weren't having that messaging clear on our website. So we had kept it very simple and people were like, oh, you know, when, when we got on the phone with them to book their birthday party, they'd say, oh, I didn't realize that you could fit that many adults. I didn't realize that, you know, the, every party is completely private. I didn't realize that you could bring in your own food. You know, things that are our bread and butter, things that we know make our parties great, things that we know make us different from any competitor that opens. We were, you know, we were relying on each staff member to convey those value points. So once we started putting that information on our website based on, you know, what our competitors were not doing and really just didn't say, oh, we do birthday parties too, but they're better. We really made sure to call out each specific point about exactly why we were not necessarily better, but different. And then people who, 
you know, find value in those points come to us and we're more expensive, but you know, they'll still come to us and people that want, you know, a more value, um, value driven experience, they'll go there and that's fine. You know, if we, something that is hard, was hard for me to swallow at first was, you know, we only need to do four birthday parties a weekend to be successful. You know, a lot of places that charge a lot less, they need to do 20. Um, but, you know, as long as we can keep our calendar, you know, four birthday parties is not that hard to book, you know, in our area, there's tons of families that could fill those slots. But you know, a lot of times I get into the mindset of, oh, if so, as soon as somebody else opens, they're going to take everything away. But as long as I can just get four bookings a week, we're good. Um, but so I'm so glad that you. Yeah. And I mean, that's a perfect example because probably everybody watching this has been to tons of kids' birthday parties. And you know, we've been the ones where you're basically just a number and it's like shuttle in, shuttle out. There's no customer experience. It's like, we got to get the next person in here. So you got 25 minutes when that timer goes off, you're out the door because the next person's coming in and that's really not enjoyable. Yeah. It might've been cheaper, right. but I would never go back to that place. It's like, they didn't even treat me like they appreciated my business. Cause they're just like a factory of turning these birthday parties out where you just like, we're going to do four, we're going to charge more, but we're going to give them the best experience so that everyone talks about, Hey, Johnny's birthday party was awesome we need to go back to that place literally next week because we had so much fun. So that's really where it is all about the customer experience and getting those talking points the, so that moms probably talk more than anybody, you know, about their experiences. And if it's a great one, they're going to tell everybody. And if it sucks, they're going to tell everybody as well. So uh, really understanding that picture as well, that competition, you know, to me, I love it because it, like you said, it also pushes you to continue to improve and you can't get complacent. Right. Whereas if you're the only shop in town, you're going to get complacent yep. and then people Guilty. are slowly going to fall Guilty off. Is charged. <laughs> yep. I was laughing earlier. I don't know if you caught it, but our espresso machine was actually broken for a little bit and it was like, it cost thousands and thousands of dollars and it's from Italy. Parts are such a pain to order. It's very hard to find anyone that specializes in espresso machines. They're like very sought after specialists. And it was broken for a couple of weeks. And I was like, our, my employees were frustrated because they were the ones that had to tell customers every day, like, oh, we can't do lattes today. And, you know, I just kind of, I was like, well, it is what it is. I can't afford to repair it right now. But then as soon as that other, or no, actually it was as soon as our second location opened, even though it's our location, it's still like friendly competition because, you know, they're independently owned. So, you know, even though it's another climbing vines, you know, we're still competing for the same customers technically. So as soon as it opened, I made it a priority. I was like, I got to get this thing fixed. I got to make sure everyone's trained on it. I got to, you know, move this way up on the priority list. But sometimes it just takes a little push. And, you know, like you said, it's not always negative when somebody opens. It's just a chance to be better and, you know, really make sure people know why you're different or better or what your secret sauce is. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you would like to learn more about Paul or his business, you can go ahead and go to paulmaskell.com or you can follow his podcast. It is called the Home Service Business Owners Podcast, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Paul is, again, so knowledgeable and just such a great resource if you want to run a business that doesn't need you, that can run with your team that can give you the real time and financial freedom that again, you are looking for as an entrepreneur. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like this podcast, if you find the content helpful, the best way to say thank you is to leave a rating and review. I read every single one and I appreciate it so much. 
for episode 60 next week. We are going to be back with brand new episodes, brand new recorded interviews, and I am so excited. We are doing a cross-state move this week. So again, I really appreciate you letting me dig this one out of the archives. But again, I hope you got so many great takeaways. Paul is just so brilliant. So go subscribe to his podcast, leave a rating interview here, and I will see you guys next week. I will be in a new state, in a new weather climate. I'm so excited and I look forward to continuing this podcast journey with you. Have a great week. 